The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi, Do all things without grumbling or questioning or quarreling. That's another way of translating that word. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray, Lord, as we come to your word, our desire is not to hear uh, some talk uh, written by uh, a person, but to hear from you. Lord, would you speak by your spirit into our hearts? You know where each of us are, the questions each of us have, and so we pray, would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? Would you speak to us where we are, whether, again, here in the sanctuary or worshiping online, Lord, we pray that your spirit would go out in a powerful way, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in a series, we're actually coming near the end of a series we're calling A Beautiful Faith, and we thought as, as we're slowly, uh, excruciatingly slowly coming out of this pandemic, it was a good time for us to reconnect with our mission as a church, that Jesus didn't just save us from our sins, but he, he saved us and has called us as his disciples to take part in what he continues to do in this world. If, if you know uh, the book of Acts, the book of Acts, the author of that book is also the author of the Gospel of Luke. And you can see in the beginning of the book of Acts that The author says, Luke says, I'm writing to tell you all that Jesus continued to do in the world. What Jesus is doing in the world, he does now through his body, the church. And so that is our call, brothers and sisters, and it is a beautiful calling. The faith he's called us to is a beautiful faith full of grace, forgiveness, and love. We have a beautiful Savior, Jesus, and as we gaze at him, we see the heart of God. He embodies all the characteristics of love and beauty. Sometimes the Christian faith can just seem like a bunch of truth claims, right? What, what's the right thing to believe? What's, what's our confession of faith? What does it mean to be a Christian or not to be a Christian? It can seem about words only. And, and I want to be clear, I love theology. Right? I'm a pastor. I, I love to study. I love Uh, the beautiful theology that makes up Christianity. But God calls us to something more. He calls us to live out those truths, the theology that we believe. And that theology, as we live it out together, as he commands us, it creates, nurtures, and grows a community, a people. And today I want us to see that that is a beautiful community. I love the way Paul Miller talks about this idea in his book, J-Curve, Dying and Rising with Jesus in Everyday Life. This is kind of a long quote, so we'll, we'll have it up here. But, but listen to what he says and, and what he captures here. He says, since the Reformation, right, the beginning of the Protestant church, the church in general has been better at seeing sin and idols than seeing and celebrating love. We have a clear vision of we, what we shouldn't be, but a dull vision of what we should be. Our wonderful Reformation emphasis on sin 
and grace needs to be enlarged to encompass a vision of beauty and love. Now listen, he says, otherwise we're going to get stuck in the dark. And I think this is poignant. This was written not too many years ago, four or five years ago, but I think it's, I think it's even more applicable today in our world. He says, without this vision of beauty and life, we're going to get stuck in the dark. Our cynical age amplifies this tendency because cynicism is the craft of seeing evil in others' motives. If we're not captured by a larger vision of the beauty of Jesus, we will see evil everywhere, especially in the church. You see, one of the flesh's most toxic characteristics is its ability to rivet you on evil. Right, this is what clickbait is all about on the internet. This is why we, we love true crime shows and, and, and news reports, exposés. We, we love to see evil exposed. And in some ways, that can be a good thing. But in other ways, we look for it where it isn't. Again, I think uh, Miller is even more right today than when he wrote this a few years ago. Our world continues to be politicized politically and culturally, and the isolation of this pandemic that has separated and isolated us has only deepened our cynicism. It's so easy to be caught up in these things that we forget Jesus' promise to work in and through his church, his body. And that the church is made to be a beautiful community. Uh, and Jesus wants to build that beautiful community here in and through us. So today, as, as we look at what is a beautiful community, uh, three points, as every good sermon should have. First, uh, first, I want to remind us, I mean, these are all reminders if you're, if you're familiar with the Scriptures and have been walking as a Christian. First, we need the community of faith. We were built for the community of faith. Second, we will struggle in the community of faith. And third, Jesus will use the community of faith to redeem the world. Okay, first, uh, we need uh, the Christian community, community of faith. I've got a little clip here. This is from, uh, this is another plug for the curriculum our village groups are using called Godspeed. Just uh, take a look real quick. So this is, this is the opening to one of the video lessons, and as you can see, these are two individuals who are expressing two very different views of community life. Um, one may seem romantic and attractive, the other one perhaps more realistic from an American point of view, but I want to challenge us that the second view, the Scottish view, I wouldn't say it's necessarily the Scottish view, but the guy was Scottish, uh, is is the one that Scripture calls us to. Our culture, our Western American culture, uh, 
pushes us to individualism. It centers the world on the individual. We have to look out for number one because no one else will. It elevates self-protection. While the Bible calls us uh, to see others as more important than ourselves, to elevate the community above the individual without eradicating the individual, but it also calls us to self-sacrifice for the good of others. So as Christians, we know God is our Father, but we're not only children, right? We're born into a family. All Christians are now our brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters in the faith. All of these labels, these familial labels, are in Scripture. We have been joined together as a community, and that's why we join a local church. That's why church membership means so much to us here at Village Church. Without a local church of believers to live out this faith together, the metaphor of the body of Christ makes no sense. A metaphor that runs throughout the New Testament. We see both our culture, which is highly individualistic, but also our English language fight against us uh, in the Scriptures. I, I, I note this, that um, I think when we, in our culture, when we read the Scriptures, it's very easy to read them uh, as individuals, right? And our language doesn't help us here. This is uh, our sermon passage. Again, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Is that, is that, a, is that an individual command or is that a plural command? We don't know in English. That's why the South has been blessed with the word y'all, right? The plural of you, second person plural. And that's what all the commands of the New Testament are. There are very few commands in the New Testament that are written to individuals. Paul, the apostle, he assumes that we are a community of faith. And that's why he works so hard in so many of his letters. He says, there is now no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. He says, you are all one in Christ Jesus. You are one. And so we are to live as one. Like the bread in the, the, the celebration of communion, Paul says, we're many, but we're one loaf. We are one community. If you enjoy camping, uh, which my wife does, and I not as much. Um, if you enjoy camping, you know that being able to make a fire is, is important for warmth, for cooking, those types of things. Um, and making a fire, unless you're super good at it, it's, it's kind of hard. So if you've made a fire at night for your meal, for warmth in the cold, it's, it's really important how you leave the fire so that the coals will remain warm through the darkness and through the cold of night so that when the morning comes... They're easy to uh, inflame again, right? And so you do that by making sure the coals are gathered together. If the coals are separated, if they're spread out, they, they easily go out. Well, that's exactly how the Christian life is. As the people of God are gathered together close in community, faith remains strong. But it's when we separate, when we isolate ourselves, when we go our own way, it is much easier for the evil one, the world, and our own flesh to fight against our faith. And so especially times like now, times that seem very dark, we feel very isolated, 
It is so important for us to remember that we were made for community and that it takes effort. So the question is, do you know that you need the fellowship of Christ in the body? And are you taking active, intentional steps to be connected to the body of Christ? Or are you living as an only child? Yes, God is my Father, and I speak with Him as often as I can, but really, I'm walking through this life alone. Jesus, the Apostle Paul, is calling us to live in community. All right. But that brings us to, this, to the second point, that conflict and struggle are part of community. If any of you are siblings, you know that we hurt one another, that we fight amongst one another when we are a family. That's often why we are drawn to isolation. There is safety in isolation. I can protect myself in isolation. I don't need to be known by you so you won't know my flaws, and I can, I can present the image that I want to. But when I am in true community, people see my flaws, my weaknesses, my sins, and so we hide But Paul addresses this point right here in the point. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? Why is he addressing that here in this letter? Well, it's because there's actually a huge argument going on in the church of Philippi. He addresses it only briefly in chapter 4. Let me just read a few verses in Philippians chapter 4. Listen, listen what he says here because it's related and important. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, you are my joy and my crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Notice how, how many times he says he loves them. <laughs> I think three times in that one verse. And then he says, I entreat Euodia, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. It's easy to read over this right at the end of the letter. Like, wow, okay, well, these two ladies, they're, they're in an argument, but Paul kind of passes over it quickly. But think about this. Paul is writing a letter... <laughs> from one ancient city to another. You know how long it takes to send a letter by mail? In those days, if you think snail mail is snail mail today, it's nothing compared to 2,000 years ago. This was a huge conflict in this young church in the city of Philippi between two leaders. Paul says these two women, they labored side by side with me as I planted this church. And they're in such conflict, Paul includes it in the closing portion of this letter. The conflict has been going on so long, and it's been so intense that he can write it knowing that even though this letter may take a month or two or three to arrive, the conflict will probably still be going on when it arrives. And he, he knows that the conflict can rip a church apart. And though he doesn't get enmeshed in the drama, right, it's very quick. And he speaks to both individuals. I entreat Yodia. I entreat Sintiki. He doesn't take sides. But he calls a third member. This one he calls uh, a faithful companion, or um, that may just be a Greek name. 
He says, help these two to reconcile. Paul knows that conflict will happen in the church. And so he addresses it here. And he, what does he say? He, he addresses it with what we started off with. Remind them that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We are one, brothers and sisters. We are a family. Don't allow sin, don't allow Satan to rip our community apart. But Paul, earlier in the heart of this letter, he actually addresses how we deal with conflict. Now we know, if you know the scriptures, Jesus himself gave us specific instructions in Matthew chapter 18 with how to deal with conflict. Jesus knows there's going to be conflict in the church. But Paul comes at it from a little bit of a different angle in Philippians chapter 2. That's where our sermon passage is. But the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 2 are one of the most important passages in the New Testament. And this is where Paul talks about and encourages the church in Philippi to have the same mind in themselves that was in Christ Jesus. Does that ring a bell? He says, have this mind in you that was, is yours. You have access to this mind, this mindset that was in Christ Jesus. What does he say? That though he was God, <laughs> yet he was willing to let go that prerogative. He was basically king of the universe, and he's, but he was willing to take on flesh and become a servant. In an obedience to God, he was willing, even when he was wronged, to submit himself even to death death on the cross. And in that submission, because it was obedience to God, God exalted him. So Jesus did not grasp on to his will. He didn't grasp on to his way, but willingly gave up himself and entrusted his Father in heaven to exalt him. And Paul says, this is the mind we are to have amongst ourselves, brothers and sisters. This is how we stay together as the body of Christ. We don't grumble when we don't get our way and create factions among the community. Can you believe this is going on? Can you believe that person said that thing? I can't believe that. You know, you're right. We need to do something about that. We don't question. I, I don't like the word question here. It's not good for pastors to question Bible translations, but this word isn't great. In fact, the updated ESV uh, has tra- translated, changed this word, grumbling and questioning. They changed it to grumbling and disputing. It's a word for getting into an argument. So he says, in the church, don't get stuck in arguments. Well, why not? Because grumbling And disputing, it pulls the church apart. How do we stay together? Well, we have the mind in ourselves that is ours in Christ Jesus. We consider others' needs as more important than our own. We're willing to die to ourselves and entrust. I mean, this is hard. Let me, you know, let's not assume, oh, this is easy. If you just look at Jesus, do this. It is hard, brothers and sisters, this call. And yet this is exactly where the Apostle Paul is calling us, to die to ourselves and entrusting ourselves to the Father to exalt us. Now, what that doesn't mean is, all right, I'm just going to let this go, but God is going to vindicate me and that person's going to look like a fool. That's still the flesh. Okay. What Paul is saying is, 
I'm not going to grumble. I'm not going to argue. I'm going to die to myself for the good of the community. And I'm going to entrust God to meet my needs. I'm going to entrust myself to God to keep this community together, strengthen relationships, protect us from sin, protect us from Satan, rather than getting my way. Beloved, in the family of God, we will have struggles. We will hurt one another. We will fight. We'll be tempted to rip the community apart. And yet, Paul tells us, have this mind in yourselves, which is Christ Jesus. Humility, trusting in God, being willing to submit ourselves for the love of one another. Okay, so we, we need the community, but in that community we will struggle. But if we will follow the Scripture's call, what God will do with it is glorious. That brings us to our third point. A Jesus community shines like light in a dark world. Let, let's go back to our sermon passage here. He says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine like lights in the world. Here's the question. Why is it worth going through the pain of conflict? Our world tells us it's not worth it. If that relationship is unhealthy, if that relationship is hard, just cut it off. Stick with the people you agree with. Stick with uh, the people you get along with. You don't have time for conflict. Well, that's the way the world works. Um, Isn't it ironic? I mean, we see this in the world all around us today. We talk about the isolation of the world. The, The irony is that social media, which was supposed to connect us to so many people around the world so instantaneously, what has it actually done? It's allowed us to isolate ourselves with the people who are like us, who are like-minded, and it has fueled that cynicism. Well, you disagree with me, so you must be evil. This is what I've heard. I don't really need to listen to you anymore. I don't need to enter into the the discomfort, the, the hardship of bearing one another's burdens, of hearing you out, of working towards reconciliation. But this is exactly what Paul is calling us to in the church. We preached through the book of 1 Corinthians years ago, and there's, there's a passage where Paul addresses that Corinthian Christians are actually taking one another to court, suing one another over particular things, and he, he becomes exasperated, and he says, why not simply be wronged? It's so despicable that two Christians would go and sue one another in court, Rather than the world seeing themselves in the church, it's better for you just to lose. Just be wronged rather than allowing the church, Jesus' body, to be mocked in that way. This is a deep calling, brothers and sisters. But here's why it's worth it. (laughs) Because we long to be in a community where we are both known and loved. Where our warts are seen and yet we are not rejected where people are are willing to be patient and kind and to endure suffering for each other. And guess who else longs for that? Our neighbors, the people around us. We were talking about this in our village group this week and in one of our 
you know, in our discussion, someone was like, you know, it's really timely that we're talking about this stuff. It, it was in the lesson about need for community and connection. He said, you know, this pandemic has made everybody realize how much they long for community. This is the perfect time for us to be talking about what does it take to build a beautiful community? Because as we fight, brothers and sisters, fight against the flesh, fight against Satan and the, and the, and the dark powers that want to rip us apart, fight against our own sin, we are creating a beautiful community that others will want to enter. And God will draw them in. That's what he says here. As you live as innocent children without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, you shine like light in the world, in a dark world. Brothers and sisters, it's worth it because God is glorified when we love like he loves. Do you know what makes a beautiful community? A community becomes beautiful when it begins to look like Jesus. That's what makes it beautiful. And so Jesus' question for us this morning is, are you willing to follow me? We all want that community, but are we willing to follow Jesus' example of self-sacrifice and death, crucifixion, and trusting our lives to the Father who says, if you will trust me and you will die to yourself, I will raise you to new life. Brothers and sisters, that is a scary and a hard call, but we see it. That's why Jesus went first. He set the example for us, and he's died for our sins. We're not suffering for our own salvation, but we are suffering for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. One of the most mysterious things Paul ever said, you know what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ? It's the holiness of the church. That's what Jesus is working out in us as we follow him, as we're willing to die to ourselves, to commit ourselves to the community of faith, especially when it's hard, to fight for unity, to fight for brotherhood and sisterhood. And beloved, as we do that, we will shine like lights in this neighborhood and others will be drawn in. It is worth it. It is worth it for our good, it's worth it for God's glory, and it is worth it for the world. Beloved, he has made us one. He has called us to have the mind of Christ, and he says that he will shine through us as a light in a dark world. Let's pray. Oh Lord, as much as we long for, we, we desire to be a beautiful community, yet we are faced again and again with the difficulty of death to ourselves, the difficulty of overcoming sin, the difficulty of following you as your beloved disciples. Lord, we cannot do this on our own, and so we ask, Lord, would you do it in us? Would you give us that willingness, that hunger to commit ourselves to the body of Christ, to do the hard work of, of reconciliation, of forgiveness, of fighting, grumbling, and disputing? And Lord, would you shine through us lights in a dark world? Lord, we long for this, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now is the time when we uh, bring our tithes and offerings.
the, the box will be passed around in just a moment. If, if you have brought a tither offering, please give it with thanks. If you give online, now's an opportunity to say thanks to God for your ability to give your tithes and offerings.